Okay, Rachel, please read First Thessalonians 2, 7 through 13. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you, were, for you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you, while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. Your witnesses and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in the manner worthy of God, to call you into his own kingdom and glory. And we also thank God constantly for this, that we that when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. Okay, we're going to look more at that passage in a minute, but it's one of my favorite passages in Scripture about discipleship because it shows how Paul discipled the Thessalonians, and the Thessalonians in turn ended up being this incredible example of the result of good discipleship. We'll see that as we go on. So remember that passage. We'll come back to it. That being stated, though, discipleship is God's ultimate plan. This is the biggest deal for reaching the world for Christ. It's what he did, and it's what he called all of us to do. If one of you, let's say Alex, began multiplying once each year, and then training that next person to do the same, and the next person to do the same, and the next person to do the same, around 9 billion people would be discipled within 34 years. Okay, That's the entire population of this planet, plus some. right? So that starts with one person just doing this process. Does it ever cross your mind why we haven't done that as a church? We'll talk about it. But this is why Jesus called us to this. It is the greatest plan for reaching the planet. Billy Graham has no doubt shared with millions of people individually. But 100 Billy Grahams would not be able to disciple this world for Christ. I'm not discrediting what he's done. But there's more to it. And he'd be the first to agree that discipleship is key. And without it, we're never going to reach this world for Christ. So I hope that this morning what we go through will give you practical tools and ideas for how to make disciples for the rest of your life. And you're called to do this. Never, ever, ever think for a second that you're not. So pay attention this morning because a lot of what we go over will be very practical. It could seem redundant. It might seem easy to kind of tune out. But as we work through these practical steps, take notes, work through them, think through them, and remember them because these will help you be an effective disciple maker for the rest of your life. These will help you multiply Christ like multipliers. That's a phrase that we use often, but that's the goal. You want to multiply multipliers, not just add adders. Okay? So Jesus was focused on discipleship, and he called each of us to do the same. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. There's a great biblical example of making disciples that I want to look at, and that's Priscilla and Aquila. We read about them in many different places of Scripture, but specifically in chapter 18 of Acts. Priscilla and Aquila were a husband and wife ministry team, and they worked as tent makers just like Paul, and they became friends with him in that capacity. They ended up traveling with him and ministering with him as well. We can read about them ministering with him in Romans chapter 16. 
And as they did that, they led a church from their home. And they were well-known and respected in the early church. This couple were the power couple of the early church, you could say, or a power couple in the early church. Although it was Christ's power working in them, of course. They're kind of like Malcolm and Leah. They were also focused on making disciples. They weren't just doing the house church thing. They weren't just doing ministry events. They were focused on making disciples. And a great example of this is right in Acts 18, where they meet a man named Apollos in Ephesus, who was passionate about Jesus, but he needed some correction and and instruction. Uh, He knew only the baptism of John, they said. So it's a question mark whether or not he even truly knew Christ, but he was powerfully speaking and preaching. So they get this man, they invite him to their own home, and the text says that they explained the truth to him more clearly. And we know that he went on to be an incredible leader in the early church. You could read about Paul talking about Apollos in 1 Corinthians 3. And how some say that, you know, they belonged to Paulus, others to Paul. So we know that he was a prominent leader in the early church. And that had a lot to do with the investment of this couple in his life. The personal investment, the discipleship investment that they invested in him. And that they gave to him. It's even hypothesized that the book of Hebrews could have been written by Apollos. We don't know for sure who wrote Hebrews. Some would say Paul, but it's very unlikely that it was Paul. It's not written in his style. All of his other letters bear his name. Hebrews doesn't. Another good candidate might be Barnabas, but there's a good possibility it was even Apollos. So possibly the investment of this couple even led to uh, this great book in the New Testament that is so rich in theology for all of us. No matter the case, he was a great leader. And a lot of that was a direct result of their personal investment in him. And the same will be the case for each of you. You're going to disciple people that end up doing far more than you ever could as a group. I'm not saying any one of them necessarily will. But the people you disciple will continue multiplying. And then they'll multiply. And then they'll multiply. And someday on your deathbed, when you look back at your life, I don't think you're going to be wondering or thinking, gosh, I wish there would have been more people at this event, or that, or whatever. But you'll be able to know confidently there is a multitude of multiplying disciple-makers that I've invested in, and then those who have invested in others, and others, and others. And you'll have lots of joy about the multiplying impact of your life that has resulted from being obedient to his great commission and making disciples of all nations. Okay, so you're commanded, like I said, to make disciples. In Matthew 28, 18 through 20, again, we're given that commandment by Jesus himself. And there are two fundamental components to discipleship. This is important, so get these two. These are mentoring and equipping. Okay, a lot of times when we do discipleship, people think, oh, we've got to go through a packet again, oh, I don't like packets, I don't like books. I just want to have this relational component, okay? Others might think, oh, it's just so wishy-washy and relational, I'm not getting anywhere, I'm not growing, all right? Now, these are two sides to the same coin, and both of these issues need to be addressed. So mentoring is defined at dictionary.com as being a wise and trusted counselor or teacher, an influential senior sponsor or supporter. So this is coming alongside somebody and being that trusted friend, that has more maturity than that person has, helping them where they're at in life, befriending them, sharing advice with them, encouraging them. That's kind of the role of a mentor. In addition to that, equipping is defined as furnishing or providing with whatever is needed for use for any undertaking to furnish with intellectual or emotional resources. 
So the mentoring aspect is the relational component, coming along some, coming alongside somebody and helping them grow. The equipping component is giving them the resources and tools that they need to multiply for Christ. Okay? These two components together are the two sides to the coin of discipleship, and they're both very important. Mentoring includes that personal relational part, like I said, equipping the investment of resources and the training in how to do those things that they're supposed to do. Now let's go back to 1 Thessalonians 2. Both of these are here. We see mentoring components in this passage, obvious, like a mother caring for her children. (laughs) We loved you so much. We invested our lives as well as the gospel of God, but they're pouring their lives into these people, not just content, but their very lives. They worked hard in order to not be a burden to them. They lived a holy, righteous, and blameless life as an example for them. They dealt with them as a father deals with his own children. They encouraged, they comforted, they urged them to live lives worthy of God. So you see these mentor qualities in how Paul and his companions discipled the Thessalonians. It wasn't just content. They were investing their lives But also you see the equipping side. They said that they shared the gospel of God with them and that they shared the word of God with them, right? They weren't just relational. They were also sharing truth and content. They weren't just focused on the content. They were also relational. Both of these things came together in how they treated the Thessalonians. Now, the result of that, we can look back a chapter beforehand, and that's in 1 Thessalonians 1, uh, verses 2 through 10, tells us that these Thessalonians impacted the entire region of Macedonia and Achaia. Now, this is a huge region. This is like from here to Denver, basically, but a circumference that large. So imagine maybe here to Denver, to Albuquerque, to this big circle. You get the picture. And Paul says that they so impacted that region that there was nothing left for Paul to say. (laughs) Okay? Imagine if we could impact a region that big to the point where it was so saturated with the gospel that there was no work left to be done. Isn't that incredible? Now, that's what resulted from this positive type of discipleship, this blended type of discipleship between mentoring and equipping. So we're going to talk about mentoring first, that being stated, and then second hour, we're going to go into equipping. So, mentoring. David Platt, the author of Radical, writes, Disciple-making is not about a program or an event, but about a relationship. If there's no relational component to your discipleship, it's not going to go anywhere. Now, all of us are very different, right? So there are going to be different ways that you relate to those that you disciple. And there are also going to be different constraints on those relationships, you might not have tons of time to do lots of different fun activities with them. I know as I've grown, I have a wife, I have kids, and it's hard to find time even for them, much less lots of extra time to go out with the many different guys that I'm discipling. So I don't get to do a lot of fun activities, so to say. But I surely want to find time to do those, and I really want to find time to personally be there for them and to invest in them. So Malcolm, I try to text Malcolm, see how he's doing. I try to let him know that I'm praying for him. I try to communicate with him. And then it's a high priority to me to go hunting with Malcolm in the fall, for example. And this fall, it was a little subpar. (laughs) But those types of events are important, right? And I would encourage you to do as many as you can. But there has to be a relationship there before you can invest in them. I'm not saying that about evangelism. I'll come back to this. You've heard that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. 
Now, that's a lie about evangelism. You have the truth of God's word, the key to salvation, and the answers to every existential question they're asking. You don't need to have any kind of personal credibility with that person before you share those things. You shouldn't burn credibility with them, <laughs> but you should strive to share Christ with them, even if you've never met them before. right? But when it comes to discipleship, you'd better be focused on building that personal credibility, and we'll come back to that. Because over time, they're only going to be able to receive from you based on knowing that you really do care for them and that you really are a person of integrity. So mentoring requires that loving commitment on the part of the discipler towards the young disciple. And they're not your disciple. i got to throw that in there. Sometimes people say, my disciple this, my disciple that. Um, I'd rather be shot than call Malcolm my disciple. <laughs> because we want people to be Christ's disciples, right? A disciple in Jesus' time would follow a rabbi. And this is pretty intense. When the disciple followed the rabbi, this was a lifelong commitment to bear what was called the yoke of the rabbi, okay? And this yoke was the rabbi's school and teachings. It was everything that he taught and all of his perspectives. And so a disciple would be saying, I'm completely committed to you and to propagating your message for the rest of my life. And I don't turn back on that commitment. It was a big commitment. It'd be crazy for us to expect that of somebody else towards ourselves. <laughs> It'd be insane. We want them to be that committed to Christ, right? So this, this isn't making my disciples, but it's me discipling others to be Christ's disciples. Paul actually talked about this in Colossians 1, saying that his goal was to present every man perfect in Christ. To Christ, right? Not for himself. So we're trying to lead people to Christ and then help them become better disciples of Christ, right? Not our disciples. But that being said, it's vitally important that you really love that person that you're discipling, doing whatever it takes to support them and help them grow. You need to be their biggest supporter and encourager. It goes back to that very definition of being a mentor. I want to encourage people like Malcolm every time I get a chance. I want him to know that I believe he can do what God has called him to do. I oftentimes tell our students, I don't think you have what it takes, but the Holy Spirit in you does. <laughs> but I want them to know that I trust the Holy Spirit in them to lead, right? I want them to know that I trust the Holy Spirit in them to do a good job at whatever he's called them to do and to know that they have my vote of confidence in doing that. And it really is true. I do trust the Holy Spirit in them to be able to accomplish what he calls. It's not just... Words, I do. Malcolm and Leah leading this project, I trusted from the first time we encouraged them to do it that they could do it. You know, I never thought, I doubt they have what it takes. <laughs> I did in their own flesh, but I know that God in them is capable. Okay? These following principles will help you mentor people that right way, right? With an expression of your confidence for them. So before you even think of that, though, you've got to pick the right people. Right? This is the most important part of the discipleship process. If you pick the right people, you're going to get good results. If you pick the wrong people, you're also going to get correspondingly negative results. <laughs> <laughs> Leah can vouch for that. All right? And when I say that, I don't mean to say that certain people are incapable or lost for good. I think all of us have to come to points where we're ready to grow. And until we're there, not much is going to get us there. God has to do that by his own power. And if you're trying to work with somebody that hasn't gotten to that point yet, it'll be a big waste of time. 
But if you're investing the majority of your time in people that are there, they've trusted Christ, they're ready to grow, you're going to see all sorts of success. And it won't be because of you, but because of what the Holy Spirit is doing in their life. I think discipleship really is you just pointing at the Holy Spirit. (laughs) I always say that the Holy Spirit has one big problem. And I say this, obviously, a little bit joking, because it sounds very sacrilegious, and he doesn't really have any problems. He's God. (laughs) But the so-called problem would be he's invisible and inaudible, right? And he chooses to act that way and to be that way. He could obviously show himself to you in a special kind of way or talk to you in a very audible way if that's what he chose to do. But for some reason, he chooses to empower people to do God's will. Ephesians 5.18 is a clear example of that, right? So when you're discipling, what you're doing is you're the person that's not invisible and the person that's not inaudible that the Holy Spirit chooses to use to point people back at what he's doing in their life, right? And this is part of God's process of co-laboring with him. 1 Corinthians 3.9 talks about how we co-labor with God, and you're going to see that across everything in life. He's choosing to co-labor with you in ministry, right? So you want to invest in the right individuals. And as I talk about that, Jesus did this. Jesus picked fishermen who were maybe not the brightest people of the day, but they weren't subpar. Apparently fishing was a pretty good job and a pretty good occupation of the day. It was probably a lot like being a small business owner. They had some possessions like boats and nets and things like that, and they made a better living than most people. But beyond just that, they had a lot of different qualities that Jesus was looking for. I was reading yesterday, I forget who wrote it, but they had qualities like faithfulness. They kept going out even when they didn't catch anything. Perseverance. Courage and boldness. I never thought of this, but fishing on the Sea of Galilee was dangerous. (laughs) You'd be caught in storms where you could die. So these were men of courage. These were men of boldness. These were men that were willing to take risks. You're basing all of your income on something that might not come through for you. So Jesus was looking at these bold, risk-taking, persevering people and calling them to be his disciples. Just look at Peter as an example of all that stuff. Some of the negative qualities of Peter were exactly due to those positive attributes, right? He was so bold at times that he got ahead of himself and got a little crazy. But God used him in great ways. So God was looking for these qualities in those that he discipled, just like we should do. Okay, so there are a few different qualities specifically that I think really make this work. And you can see the broad principle in 2 Timothy 2.2, where Paul told Timothy, who he was discipling, to invest in faithful men who could teach others also. It's one of the most classic passages in Scripture on multiplication, on spiritual multiplication. These five characteristics come from that. Since he said to invest in faithful men, we use the FAITH acronym. And we are not the only ones to use this, although we did independently come up with it, aside from several others. I think that's just evidence of the Holy Spirit inspiring different people the same way. Uh, F, faithful. Does the person you want to disciple actually do what they say they will do? If you find that this person is not faithful, not trustworthy, you probably should not invest a whole lot of time in them. That's the F in the FAITH acronym, FAITHFUL. A, AVAILABLE. Do they have time to meet 
or do they miss appointments and meetings? Sometimes I see the highest potential students that just aren't available. And as much as I want them to be available, they just aren't available. And no matter what I can do, they're not available. And instead of spending an hour each week with them not showing up because they have 9 million other things to do, it's better just to trust them to God and invest in somebody that is available, even if they seem to have less potential than somebody that has no availability. Okay, so available. Are they available? That's the A and the FAITH acronym. I, we've always said interactive, but there are a couple versions of this, specifically from two others that use this same acronym, interestingly. <laughs> so interactive, it's important that you find somebody that's interactive and not just one way, right? If Shawnee is discipling a younger student and it's all one way, <clears throat> just Shawnee teaching, Shawnee teaching, Shawnee teaching, if they never interact with you, if they never tell you how they're doing, if you never see that they're involved in what you're teaching them, they're probably not going to go very far, all right? So you want somebody that's going to be interacting with you as you work with them. But also, it's important that they would have initiative, another I. So there are three I's here, and they're all important. Initiative. If they're not a person of initiative, if you're always pulling them to try and get them to do what they need to do, you're never going to get anywhere with them. So you want to look for somebody that's going to be a person of initiative. They're going to take the initiative to apply what you're encouraging them to do. Here's Malcolm. I was just reading through my journals from years back last week. And I see this journal entry that I had written one morning about running into Malcolm and Sam out witnessing in Walmart. <laughs> Remember this? It was maybe four years ago. I think you were a freshman, a sophomore. I don't know. But anyway, I was so encouraged how we'd been encouraging people to share their faith. And I never said anything that day about, why don't you go to Walmart and try and get into conversations? But we just randomly bump into Malcolm and he's going through Walmart trying to get into spiritual conversations with people with a younger student or with somebody that wasn't quite as involved at that point. And that was an example of initiative. So invest in those kinds of people, right? All right, also integrity has been proposed as a good candidate for the I in the FAITH acronym. And I would agree that's highly important. If somebody <laughs> is not walking in integrity or has no desire to walk in integrity, then you might be better off investing elsewhere. And I want to clarify that. Nobody's going to be perfect in that area. So work with them there. But if they have no heart for integrity, and I've talked to some guys that really have no heart for integrity, you know, struggling with porn, well, we could get you uncovenantized. I don't want to be uncovenantized. <laughs> you know, I don't want this. I don't want that. Okay, what, what can I do? This guy does not want to get past this issue in his life, right? So work with people that desire integrity. Okay, on to the T, teachable. It's imperative that you find people to invest in that are teachable. If they are challenging you and arguing with you on every single point, they're probably not teachable. Additionally, and I'll mention this again later, if you're trying to work through some content with them, this is in the equipping aspect, and they say, I don't like packets, I don't like workbooks, I don't like da-da-da-da-da-da-da, that's a real good red flag about teachability. right? I know the first guy you tried to disciple did that with you. Remember, I don't want to do that packet. Well, I remember telling you at that point, that's a big sign of not having teachability. And it's evident today that that person hadn't and hasn't grown a whole lot. 
But that's not to say he won't. I trust that someday God will use him in great ways. But anyway, <laughs> finally, H. Yes, Brad. So is there, is there a balance there between whether a teach, like a heart that's teachable and a heart that is um, truly inquiring about the truth? There's a great balance there. Absolutely. So, Don't just write them off because right. they have questions about resources and yeah. things like that. Thanks for clarifying. If they're defiant, <laughs> I would right, invest yeah. elsewhere. Right, yeah. But there might be some guys, and I have one of these that I'm discipling right now, who always has an answer for every problem in our ministry, and he's always, <laughs> he's always got this real bold, fiery perspective. And I remember when I first started discipling this guy, I thought, this guy is either going to do a lot of good or a lot of bad for God, because <laughs> he's going to do a lot of something. <laughs> and I remember telling Aaron, there's never been a guy that I've discipled that tested my insecurities as much as this guy because he's just such a natural leader that I feel every time I meet with him I feel like or I felt like now we've developed a close friendship and so now I feel very comfortable with him and but at at the start it was a little more difficult but he will challenge everything everything he'll challenge it all but you know what after I talk it through everything works out just fine right and he's very teachable because he'll put those things that I challenge him on into practice, even when he really doesn't want to. And he's done this for three years. So I know it's not an issue of defiance. It's just inquisitiveness, yeah. which is fine. That's fine. Yeah. Uh, and it's, a, it's a heart question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Defiant, like, right. Is there a pride issue or are they humble for someone who's... No, guys, I want to mention, don't be afraid to disciple people that that are good leaders. <laughs> you want to disciple these kinds of people because you want to change the world for Christ. So don't think, oh, they're a stronger leader than me. I can't do this. Do it. <laughs> do it. They might end up being the next Billy Graham that you got to invest in. Gosh, for all of eternity, maybe you can thank God that you got to play a role in all that they ended up doing for him. Sorry, no, sorry. Oh. <laughs> all right. Okay, finally, H, a heart for God. It's vitally important that you invest in somebody that has a heart for God. In fact, this is probably the most important. If you don't see a heart for God in this person, don't even bother. I remember a student that I tried to disciple years ago. I mean, every day I'd ask him, so what are you getting out of your quiet times? Nothing. (laughs) What are you reading? The book of John. How far are you? He'd say like four chapters. I remember this conversation specifically. (laughs) Going, what have you gotten? Nothing. I start going through them. You didn't get anything out of chapter one? Are you kidding me? <laughs> you could spend a year on chapter one, buddy. You know, chapter. You didn't get anything out of two? Nothing out of three? Are you kidding me? Like, did you read it? Did, were your eyes open? Four? Nothing out of four? Nope, nothing. And I'm thinking, okay, I shouldn't be investing in this guy. <laughs> He's not got a heart for God. And that was very evident as I tried to work with this student. There was virtually no heart for God. He grew up in a Christian family. He was just going through the motions. And again, I'm not going to write him off forever. I trust that the Holy Spirit will get a hold of him at some point and that God will really challenge him. But it wasn't my place to do that. He had to get to a place where he was ready for God to work in his life. And I couldn't bring him there. It was between him and God. But once he got there, I would be ready to invest in him. Okay, now as you think about these faith issues and the people that you look to disciple, I want to encourage you to evaluate yourself where you're at with these issues because where you're at is going to come out in those you disciple. Your weaknesses and strengths will come out in them. So always strive to be growing in those areas. Okay, so that's the first important thing about this mentoring and discipleship component 
finding the right kind of people to invest in. And even before we go on, maybe think about some people that you know of that aren't being discipled that meet those criteria. Maybe even write down a name or two, because it might be the case that God wants you to invest in them. All right, second, invest in them according to these guidelines. Now, we're going to hit these hard and fast. You can just jot down a word or two as we go along. But you, you probably already know these. These are pretty evident and clear. Pray for the person that you're beginning to disciple. <laughs> if you're not praying for them, you're missing a big part of how God wants to use you in their life. Right? So pray for them. Next, rely on the Holy Spirit to work in their lives. You're not this person's God. God is their God. So allow him to work in their lives and trust him to work in their lives. Right? Build a relationship and personal credibility with that person. That's vitally important. Be sensitive to their needs and interests and meet them where they're at. Don't expect them to come to where you're at. But really, meet them where they're at. Is that the same point? Or is that two points? It's the same point. Yeah, so build that relationship of credibility with them and meet them where they're at. Right? Relating to them on their level. If they have an interest, try to relate to them at their level of interest. If they're particularly weak in an area, don't make that the emphasis of your appointment. Right? I mean, as not an integrity or personal weakness area. If the person isn't a huge apologist, don't make everything you do with them apologetics, right? If, if they think more relationally, try to meet them on that level. Try to work with them where they're at, not where you're at, is what I'm saying. Be personable, relatable, and genuinely interested with the motivation of love. Be interested in them. Ask them questions about them. Get to know about them. Ask them what their hopes and dreams are, what they want to do with their life, how they want to serve God, etc. That should be demonstrated by taking the initiative and being relatable personally with them. Okay, balance your relationship with common interests and fun activities as much as you can. This is important, and I think it will add a lot. Malcolm, you're a great example of this. Malcolm has always taken his guys rock climbing and a million other things. Lee is a good example of this, too baking and cooking and doing all these fun things with the girls, those are very important and they will supplement your discipleship incredibly. Remember that who you are to a person determines a lot of what they're going to take away from you. Okay, So build that relationship. Be sure to let them know that you see the person that God is growing them into. They need to see their potential in Christ. Probably you know all too much how hard it is for you to see your own potential in Christ, right? You see your weaknesses more than your strengths, your failures more than your successes. You see what you want to be like more than, than what God has made you to be. It's just a, a function of life, I think, right? And that's going to be the case for those that you're discipling as well. And as somebody discipling them, you need to paint the picture for them of their potential in Christ, right? And when they're struggling to let them know how sufficient God's mercy and grace is, right? Not to come down hard on them um, unless they're defiant. <laughs> There's some guys that maybe are de deceiving you or whatever, and you need to come down kind of hard on them. Whereas there are others that are teachable, and they're just really struggling with something, and they need to know that you support them. Okay, answer their questions first, then proceed to the material that you're dealing with. I remember once I was meeting with a guy, and I had all of our material ready to go over, 
And we get to our appointment, and he goes, before we start, I just got to let you know, I don't even know if I'm saved. <laughs> so I didn't say, you know, that's a great question, but we're going to this topic. Right? <laughs> Deal with their questions first. Talk about those issues. And if you don't get team material, that's fine. Go for it next week. But try to address the questions of where they're at. Don't preach at them, but rather ask questions that draw them out and help them find out what's true on their own. So try to ask leading questions. Right? Uh, always help them see the Bible as the only source for truth. You could write out notes, verses, diagrams on a piece of paper as you're working with them. Let them take those things home as a reference. I love doing this with baby Christians and giving them this diagram I just drew out with a whole bunch of scripture references on it and telling them, take this home, keep reading through these verses. But whatever you do, try to help them see the Bible as the ultimate, ultimate, ultimate source of truth. Right, And I would encourage you, this is something I've been trying to do recently that I didn't do for many years. I'm trying to make it a point to put my Bible physically on the table for every discipleship appointment, just so that the Bible is physically there. Everybody knows this is the center of our conversation. This is the source of truth. This is what we're grounded on. So I'm, just this last semester, I think, I started trying to do this. Just Even if I take it out and just put it on the table, it's also going to be there when I think, oh, we should turn to that scripture, right? instead of just thinking of it in my head. So make the Bible kind of the hub of all that you're doing in your appointment. If you don't have time to finish, that's fine. Put it off to next week. Don't overload them with info, guys. Be patient. You don't want to dumb things down, but you don't want to make it too much either. Russ always says, too much, too soon, too bad, too little, too late, so sad. There are a few different iterations of that phrase <laughs> that he uses. But the bottom line is, if somebody's ready to take a step, you don't want to dumb it down and keep them from taking that step. Similarly, if somebody's really not ready, you don't want to push them beyond where they're ready. You want to sensitively help them take the step that they need to take. Nothing more, nothing less. Right where they're at. Okay? Remember, this new disciple does not yet think, talk, or act like a more mature Christian. So don't blow your credibility by forcing them to meet standards that they're not at yet. This might happen with language, right? Don't you use heavy Christian language that they're not ready for. There's once a student about to do his testimony, and I went out to videotape it. We were going to do a video testimony. And he said, I was redeemed by the all-powerful blood of the pure white lamb of God. <laughs> he started talking like this. And I just said, cut, cut, cut. It was very elaborate. There was more to it than just that. And I stopped the video and he goes, what are you doing? I spent so much time picking these words carefully. And I said, you're not going to be relatable to anybody in our meeting. <laughs> be yourself. Talk, don't use Christianese, we say. right? Use normal language. Don't try to communicate too deep. Avoid rabbit trails and keep it simple. And this is so important. Don't verbally or non-verbally communicate a standard of performance to this person. You want them to have the freedom in Christ that Christ set them free to have. And you don't want to steal that from them. There's a baby Christian that came to Christ this semester. And both Malcolm and I get to meet with him quite often. And sometimes he'll cuss in the middle of a discipleship appointment. Not like cuss at me, but you know, I'll share a story or something and he'll be like, D-A-M-N, you know, <laughs> something like that. The last thing I'm going to do is come down on him and say, oh my gosh, don't say that word, you know. The Holy Spirit's going to work that through in his life. <laughs> That's just his current 
terminology, expressing his awe of God, maybe. <laughs> so be patient with this new guy and let the Holy Spirit work in his life and not see his relationship with God as a legalistic issue, but rather one of freedom. All right? Meet once or twice a week. You don't want to spread it out too far. There must be a willing commitment on your end to invest time in this person's life. If you're unwilling to invest time, you probably should not meet with them. Now, one way that we do this is we schedule weekly appointments. All of our staff have numerous weekly appointments scheduled. That might seem routine or rote or too structured, and sometimes the guys will say, it's so structured that every week we meet at the same time. And I just tell them, honestly, if I don't do that with my wife, I'm not going to get time with her. If I don't do that with my kids, I'm not going to get time with them. As you grow in responsibility, you'd better learn to schedule. And that would include scheduling for things like that. And it's not a lack of relational qualities. It's actually conducive to relationship, right? It's showing that person that you value, value them enough to make time for them every week, right? And in a busy adult schedule, that's important, right? Sometimes if you have all the time in the world and you can just spend time randomly whenever, however, that's fine. But cultivate the ability also to schedule time with this person so that it's not just falling through the cracks. All right. Don't get discouraged thinking that you did something wrong if they don't turn out the way you want them to or if they discipleship dump you, <laughs> right? <laughs> Jesus had Judas who betrayed him. I've had people that I've discipled. One guy almost tried to fist fight me on one point. He swung back, right? He didn't follow through with it, thank God. But it was pretty <laughs> intense. I felt very awkward. I'd invested three years in this guy's life and I felt very weird that he would treat me that way. I know Leah's had a few discipleship dumps where women that she's invested in dumped her and didn't want to meet with her for really ridiculous reasons. <laughs> you guys, when things like that happen, just trust that God's worked in that person's life and that he'll bring it through in the end and that it's not your fault. At the same time, try to learn. Maybe there's an issue that you could improve on in your own delivery or your own personality, but don't waste a whole lot of time beating yourself up over it, okay? Okay, those are just some general principles for how you can mentor this person and build that credible relationship with them. Those all come from our leadership edition of the Discipleship Packet. Next, invest in them according to these general criteria. Have good boundaries. You might have people that want more from you than you can give them, and they really need to be encouraged that they need to go to God for that, right? So have good boundaries with the people that you disciple. Next, deal with your own insecurities. You're going to have all sorts of insecurities come up as you disciple someone. Am I who I need to be to disciple this person? Do I have what it takes? Do they even like me? Do they think I'm a moron? Especially when it comes to challenging them on hard issues. So deal with your own insecurities and trust God by faith. Be humble. Be bold. Be willing to challenge them to more than they're going to challenge themselves to. Encourage them often. Part of encouragement involves delegating to them, helping them take a good step. So when you encourage someone and delegate to them, you're saying, I trust that you can do this. Casey, we've gone over this material. I know you can share your faith. Now go for it, right? It's where you're actually helping them take the step to apply what you've taught them. And sometimes you might think, they might not be able to pull it off as well as I could. That's fine. They don't have to. If they never get trusted with that step, they're never going to grow. So be willing 
to have them fail. It's okay. Give them freedom to fail and trust them. And then whatever the results, work through it with them afterwards. Demonstrate what you want them to learn in your own life. As you come alongside them and mentor them, live out what you want them to see, what you want them to grow in. Right? Exemplify that and model it for them. Do everything you can to help them grow. Share resources with them. Share opportunities with them. Most of all, have fun together. Ministry is going to be fun, and God working in our lives is fun, so help them grow in that. All right, discipling younger believers will be difficult, but stick with it. This is tedious at times. It takes lots of time, but stick with it. If you want them to become Christ-like, you are going to have to challenge their flesh and deal with their sin. There have been very few guys that I've ever discipled that I haven't had to challenge hard on some issue. Malcolm has never, ever fought me on anything. <laughs> That's such a joy. <laughs> but a lot of people that you work with, you're going to have to fight on certain issues, right? And you're going to do it lovingly and humbly and with God's word, but you're going to be willing to challenge them. Spurgeon said, too often we play with the sword of the spirit rather than thrusting it into the hearts of men. Isn't that good? God's word is scripture. God's word is the sword of the spirit. Use it. Gently but authoritatively, with power, with boldness. Be willing to thrust it into the hearts of the guys you're discipling and the women you're discipling. Be concerned with their character development first, beyond just ministry competency. If their character is not Christ-like, they're never going to do much good for God. So be concerned with their character. Don't tolerate things that really shouldn't be tolerated. If you see willful sin in their lives, be willing to challenge them on it and to help them grow through it, even if that's awkward. Right? Discipleship requires, and it says this in 2 Timothy 4 2, remember this is just two chapters after this incredible passage on multiplication, that you correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and instruction. Okay? This 2 Timothy 4 2. So be willing to correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. There are going to be times where you have to confront these difficult issues and deal with their flesh. Trust the Holy Spirit to work through it in their life, right? Be as kind as you can and as honest as you can, but don't shy away from that critical issue. And as you're doing that, keep them accountable. Accountability is vitally important, and this is part of this mentoring relationship, right? You're not investing content at this point, but you're helping to be this older friend that's helping them take positive steps in a relational way. So keep them accountable, in these various aspects of growth. It's imperative that you help them grow in integrity. That could encompass a lot of different aspects of your relationship. That might be keeping them accountable to have a daily quiet time. I remember guys that have said, keep me accountable to wake up every day at 6. So I'll text them every morning at 6 or call them at 6. I remember one of the first guys I ever discipled, he said, I need you to keep me accountable to have a daily quiet time. So this is before texting even existed, as far as I know. I'd call him in the morning and say, Jonathan, you having a quiet time? He's like, Jesus is so awesome. I'm having such a good time with Jesus. He's like this real kind of emotional type of guy. <laughs> then I'd call the next guy that I needed to keep accountable for quiet times, and he's like, that sounded like I was talking to a tree or something like that. You know what I mean? Uh, They're on different ends of the spectrum, but they both wanted me to keep them accountable to having a daily quiet time. Right? So keep them accountable to that stuff. You might have to keep them accountable with negative or 
away from negative issues, right? Keep them accountable to walk in integrity, right? A lot of guys are going to initially be dealing with porn when you bring this up with them. Don't just put it off. <laughs> Start getting on that real quick, right? Start challenging them in those areas and helping them walk in integrity. Um, I know, Malcolm, you deal with the guys that you deal with real quickly on that. You bring it up and you start talking to them and you don't you don't just let it pass, right? Um, you're real quick to get them on covenant eyes and that's important, right? So you guys do that. Uh, you women don't assume that that's not going to be an issue, but there are going to be other issues as well too, right? I think it's going to be important for you to deal with things from their past and help them deal with lots of things from their past. Uh, don't just pretend those aren't there. James 5.16 says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Right? So help this person walk in integrity. And as you're doing that, in an appropriate way, share with them your struggles, your hardships, and what God's doing in your life. Now, there are things that you shouldn't share. I think that there are going to be some things that maybe are best kept between you and God. Right? Um... But seek him about how appropriate to be. I try to be very vulnerable with the guys about where I'm at and what I'm struggling with and things that God is doing in my life. And as you're honest and vulnerable with them, they're going to see I can trust you with my issue. right? I can trust you with where I'm at. In addition to all this, and we're closing up this first section pretty quickly here, affirmation is important. We don't just want to focus on the accountability and the negativity and the challenging like I said before, you always want to keep affirming them and letting them see their potential in Christ. Um, ask God to show you their potential in Christ. One of my favorite things about discipleship is seeing the amazing qualities of the different guys that God has allowed me to invest in. They're all very different. <laughs> They're all so different. And I want to spend a lot less time thinking about their weaknesses and a lot more time thinking about the strengths that God's divinely chosen to put in their life. I remember when Malcolm was a young student, he'd say, let's go out witnessing. I want to do something that scares me. So we'd share. And then he'd say, next week I want to do something that scares me any even more. <laughs> I loved his courage and his boldness. And it still comes out today. I love that. Right? Brandon is this guy that just joined our staff. He's going to be raising support. And he is the most even keel guy I've ever met in my life. <laughs> I mean, it's the best book ever. I mean, you could you could tell him your wife just got killed, and he'd be like, "It's a bummer." <laughs> Maybe not that that serious. He'd probably be stressed on that. <laughs> but he is so even keel. I've never seen him get emotional about anything. He's just like, but you know what? He is so diligent with his his personal life and doing what you challenge him to do. And I love those different qualities in his life. This other guy that I mentioned earlier is fiery and feisty and bold, and sometimes he gets ahead of himself like Peter, and I love that about him. <laughs> he's he's going to do a whole lot for God, and I know now it's going to be a lot more good than bad. <laughs> you know exactly who I'm talking about. <laughs> and I just, I love that. I mean, sometimes I think this is, it's so beautiful. You know, I just, sometimes I even tell the guys, I'm like, I just really love seeing that quality in you. You know, another guy loves kittens. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's pretty weird <laughs> but I love seeing that uniqueness in him he's a, he's a very unique guy and he challenges Leah on her Star Trek trivia sometimes <laughs> but I love these different characteristics so guys affirm the people you're discipling where they're at don't expect them to be just like you 
right? But affirm them where they're at and enjoy their uniqueness in Christ. He's making them to be, he's making them to be who he wants them to be, not who you want them to be. And rejoice in that. It's exciting that you get to invest in them for this short time. But, but take a lot of, have a lot of joy about who God has made them to be uniquely, right? And then communicate that to them. Let them see their potential in Christ. Don't just pretend that they probably know it and they don't need to hear it again. I want to communicate over and over and over and over. I'm proud of you. I'm excited for you. You're doing great. Golly, God is doing great things in your life. They need to see that and be encouraged by that, right? All right, get the ball rolling. We've discussed a lot about mentoring individuals and investing your life in others through discipleship. Uh, it's time to think about taking that next step. So each of you have people that God wants you to disciple right now. <laughs> okay, this is... True as can be. You can take it to the bank. There are people in your life that God desires you to disciple right now. And I think it's important that you start thinking about who those people are, right? And asking God when it might be time for you to take that step and invest in them and begin this mentoring relationship. When you're ready to take that next step, you take the initiative to go to them. Don't wait for them to come to you. This is what Jesus did with his disciples, when he called them, you can see that in Matthew 4, 18 through 22. In Mark 1, 14 through 20. Luke 5, 1 through 11. And John 1, 35 through 51. These are all examples of Jesus calling his disciples to come and follow him. And they're incredible. And in fact, I've, just, I've been reading Luke 5, 1 through 11, which seems to parallel... The calling in Matthew 4, 18 through 22, but they're two separate callings, okay? So in Matthew 4, 18 through 22, Jesus said, come and follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. They went and they followed him through Capernaum and some other areas. They saw him speak to large crowds that recognized the authority that he had. They saw him heal people. They saw him cast out demons. Of course, after all this, these people thought, this guy is greater than anybody we've ever seen. They went back to fishing, though. Isn't that incredible? They went fishing, of course, was a profitable occupation, and they had a lot invested in it. They had boats, they had nets, they had equipment that cost lots of money. In addition to that, their family reputation was tied up in this occupation because it's what they'd received from their parents. They had a lot going for them in their society. So Jesus had called them to come and follow him, and he would make them fishers of men. And they wanted to probably, and they realized there was something to it. But they went back to fishing. <laughs> and then Jesus comes again in Luke 5, 1 through 11. And because of different nuances in the passages, they know that this is a separate occasion as compared to Matthew. And again, he teaches. And again, he jumps in Peter's boat, maybe not again. He goes out challenges Peter to take a step of faith. Peter calls him master there. Obviously, Peter had seen this guy <laughs> has more authority than anybody I've ever known. And Jesus, this is so interesting, I never knew this, but Jesus challenges Peter in the middle of the, the day to go out to deep water and catch fish. And apparently, I was reading yesterday on this, um, in the Sea of Galilee, you fished in shallow water in the nighttime. <laughs> not in deep water in the daytime. <laughs> That's uh, what Craig Keener wrote. And so Jesus is challenging this fisherman to do everything differently than he's ever known to do 
And on top of that, it's after a nighttime of no fish. <laughs> and the amount of fish they caught was so incredible that their boats are sinking. They have to call in other people to get the nets in. This incredible catch of fish. And, and Peter says, depart from me. I'm a sinful man, right? Um, I'm not even worthy to be around you. And Jesus then says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And what happens? They forsake it all and follow him at that point. So I guess as we close out this first aspect, Jesus had called them to follow him. He had told them that he would equip them to be fishers of men. But then he was willing to reach them at their level, this mentorship level, this relationship level. He was willing to help them catch fish so that he could equip them to catch men, right? So take that personal investment attitude with those that that you invest in and take the initiative. Go to them first. And if they're the right kind of person, don't give up if it doesn't pan out right away, right? Persevere with them some. And, and keep investing. Keep trying to initiate. So take the initiative. Don't put it off. This guy that Brad led to Christ yesterday, if I'm not mistaken, has been praying for two weeks that God would bring somebody to him to tell him about Jesus. <laughs> That's so incredible. What a great story. Okay, don't wait three weeks to disciple him, right? We should be getting in touch with that guy today. Taking the initiative with him. He doesn't even know what discipleship is. Take the initiative with him. When you do take that initiative, confirm the appointment, have your calendar ready, call them the night before to reconfirm the appointment, be willing to flex with them. Sometimes these guys will have an appointment and I'll be very busy and I'll call them 10 minutes before. Oh, I slept in. I can't make it. And everything in me wants to slap the guy. (laughs) Slept in? Are you kidding me? Can we just meet like two hours from now? (laughs) I feel like saying, do you know all the things on my to-do list? But I'm not going to tell them that. Like, you know what? Yeah, we'll meet two hours from now. I'm going to accommodate your schedule the best I can. Right? Um, and keep modeling what you, what you want to teach them. Guys, don't try to streamline this. Uh, there's a lot to discipleship. It's going to take time. If you want somebody to become a Christ-like multiplier that's going to multiply other Christ-like multipliers, there's going to be an investment of lots of years in this person's life. And don't stop investing when they start multiplying. If anything, invest even more at that point, right? So stick with them for the long haul. All right, with that being said, I want to close with an interesting example of multiplication. And this has been explained many times by many different people. I didn't discover this by any means. But there's an amazing chain of multiplication that's been described. And it begins with a guy named Edward Kimball who you've probably never heard of, but you maybe have heard this chain of events, Brad. So Edward Kimball was a Sunday school teacher, and he's kind of forgotten to history by most. But he's known for having led Dwight Moody to Christ. Moody was a a shoe salesman (laughs) who didn't have a whole lot of a heart for God. And Kimball went to the shoe store that he worked in, cornered him, and I guess he was kind of a, an insecure man and not too excited about challenging this guy. And from what I've heard, he was even afraid to go into the store. <laughs> but he finally broke through that fear, crushed it, went in and, and challenged Moody to get right with God. And Moody put his trust in Christ. And you probably have heard of Moody. He's famous and uh, became one of the greatest evangelists in history, started the Moody Bible Institute, which has trained countless thousands for ministry. An incredible minister. But it didn't end there. Moody ended up having a profound impact on 
a British evangelist named F.B. Meyer. Some people would say that he led Meyer to Christ. That's not the case. Meyer was already a Baptist pastor in England who was already doing evangelism. But Moody encouraged him and challenged him and helped him uh, grow in that area and then invited him to the United States to do some crusades here. And at one of those crusades, apparently, in the U.S., F.B. Meyer ended up impacting Wilbur Chapman, who had been a pastor, but his wife had recently died, and he was very discouraged in ministry and uh, didn't know whether he should keep going or not. And F.B. Meyer got to challenge uh, Wilbur, I guess personally, after a conference uh, message that really challenged Wilbur to stick it out and to keep serving God in ministry. Wilbur went on to influence Billy Sunday for Christ. Billy Sunday was a baseball player who had come to Christ through a very interesting story, apparently. And he ended up being the apprentice of Wilbur until Wilbur died. And when Wilbur died, Billy Sunday ended up taking up his preaching ministry and ended up sharing Christ all throughout the country, became a really powerful uh, evangelist. He ended up impacting Mordecai Ham for Christ, who also had already trusted Christ prior to that point. But Wilbur, I guess, ended up being able to powerfully impact Mordecai Ham for Christ and uh, encouraging him in his ministry. He went on to do a lot of crusades and evangelism and all this, and it was at one of his crusades in 1934 that Billy Graham came to Christ, right? who ended up being the greatest evangelist of all time. Now, if you look at that chain of events, it's pretty outstanding, but it all started with one man just being faithful to crush a fear and to go into a shoe store and <laughs> share the gospel, right? Kind of like your story yesterday of this guy coming to know Christ. Um, so I just want to encourage you, most of those stories weren't people trusting Christ, but it was discipleship. Some were both. Discipleship starts with evangelism, right? But both of those culminated in this incredible chain of events that has led to several of the greatest evangelists in history being discipled and trained and encouraged in their ministries to make a great impact for Christ. And as you choose to make disciples, God will do similar things in your life. I always say, guys, and this is so true, your weaknesses, inabilities, failures, and past present no challenge to God's will for your life. Your willingness does. So be willing to be and do what God made you for. You don't have what it takes, but God's spirit in you does. So be the leader that he made you to be, the discipler that he made you to be, and turn this world upside down for him.